Hi, listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. The trial of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, also known as the Devil Made Me Do It case, is the first known court case in the United States in which the defense sought to prove innocence based upon the defendant's claim of demonic possession and denial of personal responsibility for the crime. This is the story of the demonic possession of Arnie Johnson and the killing of Alan Bono. Okay, so you know I'm a huge fan of the Conjuring series and anything that has to do with Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yes, am I? <laughs> creepy as it is, mm-hmm. I can't help but watch it. Nightmares and all. Doesn't make a difference. Terrifying. Well, can I hold on? I'm sorry. Can I can we all just take note that you just, you know, confess mm. to everybody that you get nightmares over the conjuring? You don't get those? <laughs> is that just me? <laughs> I mean, it's not real. <laughs> Why are you lying to yourself? Okay, <laughs> whatever helps you sleep at night, but apparently it still doesn't because it'll give you nightmares. Well, regardless of the nightmares, it's coming out in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So once I saw the trailer, mm-hmm. I found it really interesting. And of course, I started to get into this crazy rabbit hole that was very dark. Mm-hmm. So I decided, well, why not make it productive and make an episode out of it? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> After all, it's actually based on... The Devil Made Me Do It trial mm-hmm. of Arnie Johnson. I've actually have never heard of this case, so I'm kind of excited to hear about it. So how did they get to this? I'm assuming it starts off with house. Well, you guessed right. <laughs> it always does, isn't it? A haunted mm-hmm. house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arnie Shan Johnson and Debbie Glatzel, that was his girlfriend, mm-hmm. rented a house. Okay, And as they were actually moving in, they brought in Debbie's brother... He was about 11 years old mm-hmm. at the time to come help them. Well, as he was coming into the house, he was going to sweep one of the rooms, one of the bedrooms. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird because, you know, you think you go in a rental, it'd be all clean. Well, this wasn't. So <laughs> I was wondering because you said they brought in the 11 year old. Yeah, to help clean and sweep the house, right? I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. Anyways, well, this was back in 1980. So many things were different back then. I don't know. So as he's sweeping the actual house Mm -hmm. or that bedroom by himself, he ends up getting shoved by an old man. So then he's terrified and he runs out of the house. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? What? There's no old man. What do you mean? We just got shoved by something inside the house, but there wasn't anybody in there. It was just him and his sister and the boyfriend. So the couple initially thought David was using the old man as an excuse to kind of get out of the work. (laughs) To avoid (laughs) cleaning. Yeah, avoid cleaning. (laughs) Like, I just came. I'm being forced here, right? I'm not trying to do anything. (laughs) But David was adamant that the old man had vowed to harm the family if they moved into that rental home. Oh, so not only did he get shoved or pushed by this old man, but the old man also spoke to him. Oh, yeah. So... Mm -hmm. That's what happened at that time, and it kind of like escalated from there. Okay. So David had visions of the old man, including the man appearing as a, okay, it's kind of creepy, as a demonic beast, okay, okay. Uh, who muttered in Latin and threatened to steal his soul. Out of that whole sentence, 
muttering in Latin is what terrifies me the most. Oh, 100%. 100%. You can say like, oh, you the heard demonic, get out, but right, no. no. Where does that come from? No, thank you. The demonic beast and all that stuff. You can throw in me, but just don't do it in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> so the family did hear strange noises coming from the attic, but... David was really the only one that had actually seen the old man. So nobody was really experiencing anything then? No, just hearing noises here and there, which obviously, what do you typically hear? Oh, it's just the house settling. Yeah, yeah. So nothing completely out of the ordinary, but David certainly was the one that was being targeted. Mm -hmm. So David was experiencing night terrors. He was getting acting really strange, and he was obtaining unexplained scratches and bruises on him. Mm, Get out. Yeah, no kidding. So at this point, the family knew they needed help. They didn't know what was going on, but they decided to call upon a Catholic priest to come and bless the house. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, that wasn't enough. It did not clear the home Mm. of that evil presence that David was experiencing. Mm. It never works. Yeah, unfortunately not. So at that point, they kind of ran out of options and decided it's probably best that they moved out of that home. Mm -hmm. How long had they been in there? Do you know? I don't think it was very long. I think okay. it was days. Oh, days. Yeah, I was going to say weeks. Okay. No, I think it was days at that point. And that's when they decided, okay, we, we're moving out. Yeah. Okay. So I think what happened was they ended up moving to Debbie's parents' house. Mm-hmm. And they all ended up living there. And I th- want to say, it was kind of weird because I did see a glimpse of in one of the stories that mm-hmm. the mom actually had moved over to the rental house instead. So they kind of swapped just oh. for the time being because of everything that was going on to David. Okay. So wait, I'm sorry. How did they start believing David's stories that he was seeing this? Is it because of the scratches? Yeah, I think it was starting to get a little crazy. The the scratches, the... And his behavior. His started. behavior. So then that's when they're like, oh, okay, maybe we should believe about this old man story type of deal. Right. Okay. Even though they moved, mm-hmm. David's visions continued to get worse. Oh. Okay. So it didn't matter if it was day or night. Mm-hmm. David was no longer seeing that same old man he saw at first. Okay. Instead, it had actually materialized in front of him as a burnt, charred figure with hooves like a deer. Oh, no. Okay, yeah, it seems, I'm going to say what that no, sounds no. like. Mm-hmm. So, just 12 days mm-hmm. after the original incident, okay, the family requested help from demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren. What did you just say? Ed. Ed. Coming to the rescue. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened, Lorraine apparently witnessed a black mist materialize next to David. And she felt it was a malevolent presence. Okay. Okay. So just to kind of, I guess, explain who they are a bit. Ed is a demonologist and Mm -hmm. Lorraine also is a demonologist, but she's also a clairvoyant. Okay. Okay. So she can... Has visions, can speak to the dead. Okay. So Debbie and her mother told the Warrens they had seen David being beaten and choked by invisible hands. And that red marks had appeared on his neck afterwards. That's scary. Okay. So weird stuff is going on. Yeah. You know, and it's getting even crazier. David had started to growl, started to hiss, again, speaking different voices that weren't his own. And he was even reciting passages from the Bible, which I'm sure you find that creepy because I know I did. Mm -hmm. Each night, a family member would remain awake with David because, you know, when he would have these episodes, he needed somebody there Mm -hmm. to kind of control him. I call not it. (laughs) 
Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Not <dude>. it. <laughs> That's easier now, right? But like, oh my God. Because he was suffering like spasms and convulsions. Convulsions. Mm-hmm. So somebody had to be there. Okay. And these episodes would kind of be routine. They'd, they'd typically start around 11 p.m. at night. So as you can imagine, this was taking a huge toll on David and his whole family. Yeah. So one night, out of complete frustration, Arnie Johnson told the demon to take on him instead while David was going through an episode of Possession. I don't know much about this stuff, but you're not supposed to do that. That's what I hear, right? (laughs) Whether you believe it or not. You're not supposed to do that. Do not do that, (laughs) right? (laughs) So just days later... Arnie was getting in his car when that demonic figure mm-hmm. actually appeared in front of the car. Okay. Oh. And at that point, his car started to kind of rev and he was, he had no control of it. Oh. And the car drove on its own straight into a tree. Oh no. And fortunately he was not harmed in any way, but you can imagine how scary that is going through that. And yeah. you had no control over the car after seeing something like that. And I'm assuming that he hadn't seen this, demonic figure right no, not until then i don't think so from what i see no it was oh, wow. mainly just yeah so it was david. M- yeah david explained to them what he's seen and now he's seeing it firsthand right Ooh, but i think they scary. just saw at that point was the behavior the things mm-hmm. that were happening to david including getting harmed and stuff mm-hmm. at that point arnie was really shook up mm-hmm. right as anybody would be mm-hmm. so after that incident arnie spoke to a priest and described what was happening to him mm-hmm. And the priest gave him a necklace with a blessed crucifix on it to help protect him. Okay. When he went back home and saw David, David looked at the crucifix mm-hmm. and said, and again, not his voice, not David's voice, the 11-year-old. Okay. I know where you were and who gave you that necklace. Oh. He even said the name of the priest. <gasps> no. And he also said, it won't do you any good. Oh. Now get this. The crucifix was then thrown off of Arnie's neck. What do you mean, thrown off? Thrown off, unexplainably. Like, nobody yanked it off. It just went flying off of his neck. Oh, no. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. So at that point, David's possession, kind of like his voice or whatever, Uh it lifted and it was back to him. And he gasped and -hmm. said, it went back to the well behind the rental house. Excuse me? That's how it comes and goes, apparently. Ooh, the crucifix? The demonic beast. What? <laughs> okay, no. Mm. Yeah, so this is all getting really crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly, there's a need for a priest to come in there and take care of the situation. Mm-hmm. So David actually received the prognosis of multiple possessions from the Warrens, meaning mm-hmm. multiple demonic entities were, you know, kind of taken over him. Wow. At that point, David was subjected to three lesser exorcisms. Okay. Which I'm not exactly sure. They're like minor exorcisms. Not, I don't really know what it's the difference is. It's not like is. the full, okay. Well, because the full exorcisms, don't you have to like prove to the Catholic Church that it really is? A, like, suppose it was really hard to get, Well, right? I think that was is what was going on. I think that's what Ed and Lorraine help with. Because they're in contact with the priests and trying oh. to get that type of support. Okay. So Lorraine Warren says that David actually levitated. He ceased breathing for a period of time, and he even demonstrated the supernatural ability of precognition. Okay. He even said that Arnie Johnson would later murder somebody. <gasps> so this all happened, what? David, in a different voice, this 11-year-old kid, what? 
said that this these things were going to happen okay. before it even happened. Okay. So get this. In October of 1980, the Warrens even contacted the Brookfield police to warn them of the situation because it was becoming so dangerous. Warn them of what situation? Oh, that something bad was going to happen. Oh, okay. Of what David had said. Yeah. Which I'm still in shock because I thought this whole time David was the one that committed a murder. So yeah, no, this is the kid. So, no, I, I understand. Yeah. David is the kid, but I thought the story, I don't know. Wow. Okay. So at this point, they contact the police. And mm-hmm. honestly, the police can't do anything about this, right? Well, yeah. They can't like, go based on a precondition or let alone something that's paranormal right. that's happening, right? So mm-hmm. just kind of like stuck. Yeah. But she was adamant. Something's bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So at that point, the police, they were just showing up quicker, right? If something was going to happen around that residence, they would go. Okay. Okay. So after a long battle of exorcism, David was finally released of the possession. Okay. And, and this is really interesting. It took six priests. And this I found fascinating. Three of them came directly from the Vatican. Oh, wow. I mean, that sounds like real serious. Yeah. (laughs) You think that's real? You know, what's crazy is because it seems like growing up, you were kind of told that that stuff isn't real, right? No. Well, you may not because you had different experiences than I did, right? But me, I didn't have friends that were priests. It was kind of like a hidden thing. Like, that wasn't a real thing. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is I was never told it wasn't a real thing. I was just told that, you know, I am I grew up Catholic. So I was just told that, yes, Catholics are aware that this kind of stuff does happen, but it's very hush-hush. Yeah. So to me, it's like if, you know, wherever you did your research, you found that, you know, how many, three of them were from the Vatican. To me, that's what makes me wonder, is that portion really true? I mean, I was just always under the impression that, you know, Catholic priests and, you know, especially from the Vatican, they're not going to, yeah, you know, willy nilly publish this and say, yeah, we did Mm -hmm. send three of our priests to go and exercise this kid. That's, I mean, I don't know that, that it makes me wonder. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it is legitimate. One, they kind of they even showed a picture of one of them, of mm-hmm. one of the priests, and it also, aside from the different articles, there was an interview where Ed and Lorraine Warren s- stated that specifically as well. Wow! So I think it's true. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of hard to say because right. it's so out of this world mm-hmm. to something that you don't really can't really proof because mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's like invisible type yeah. of thing you know so it's kind of hard to wait whether you believe it or not you right. know so those are the facts that i read okay so remember how david had mentioned that the demon had gone into that well behind the rental house yeah mm-hmm. well arnie returned to the rental property to examine the old well that housed Why? this demon so exactly i wouldn't have well, never even i would have moved towns it's like you know your kid is done being possessed walk away Walk away. I don't need any more questions answered. I'm good. <laughs> exactly. Well, according to Arnie, this was the final encounter with the demon. Okay. Where he actually felt completely lucid. Okay. Like himself. Okay. It wasn't until after he went to this well. Mm-hmm. And he actually made eye contact with that demon. Uh-huh. See? No. Mm-hmm. That he felt that that's when it actually possessed him. Mm. So, again, the demon that fled the child's body Mm -hmm. 
is now taking residence within Arnie. Uh, uh-uh-uh. And the Warrens actually warned him not to do this. Because not to go risk, to the well. Yeah, because of the risk that was involved. Well, yeah. I mean, it doesn't take the Warrens to tell you this. I could have told them that. <laughs> like, back away. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's just, like, a certain level of curiosity of going through something no, like you that know and what? believing that it's real or not. Like, is that really real? No. Even experiencing that craziness to, that's happening? But to me, like, your kid, your supposedly they witness their own child get choked and there's nothing there and get markings on his body his neck and scratches that to me is like if i really truly went through something like that no i don't need to go back and you know try to prove something prove something or figure no it's like okay it's gone thank you and lorraine i hope to never have to call you again (laughs) that's it goodbye (laughs) goodbye At this point, you know, they're kind of like starting over. Debbie and Arnie, who'd been living again at their mother's house, mm-hmm. finally decided it was time to move. Okay. Debbie was hired by Ellen Bono, a new resident of Brookfield, and she was hired as a dog groomer. Oh, okay. And Debbie and Arnie began renting an apartment close to her place of employment. Mm-hmm. And after moving in, Arnie started to exhibit odd behavior. And unfortunately, it was strikingly similar to how David was behaving before. Mm-hmm. And of course, this caused Debbie to fear that he had become possessed as well. Mm. We weren't done with this. <laughs> and according to Debbie, Arnie would fall into a trance-like state mm-hmm. wherein he would growl and hallucinate, but later have no memory of it. No, goodbye. Goodbye. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done with you too. <laughs> <laughs> On February 16th, 1981, Johnson called in sick to his job at the Right Tree Service. And joined Debbie at the kennel where she worked. Okay. So he's kind of playing hooky. Okay. He also joined his sister, Wanda, and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary. Well, Alan Bono, the couple's landlord and Debbie's employer at the kennel, Mm -hmm. bought the group lunch at the local bar. And he was actually started to drink kind of heavily. So after lunch, the group returned to the kennel. Mm -hmm. And then Debbie took the girls to get pizza, but insisted they returned quickly because she was anticipating trouble. Like she didn't like how Alan was acting when he was drinking so heavily. Okay. When they returned, Alan Bono was intoxicated and agitated Mm -hmm. and Debbie urged everyone to leave the room, but Bono grabbed Mary. remember the nine year old before Uh she could leave and refused to let her go. Arnie headed back and ordered Bono to release Mary. Mm -hmm. Now Mary ran to the car as Debbie attempted to mitigate the situation by standing between the two men. She okay. was trying to get kind of heated. Right. And Wanda tried to pull Arnie away, but just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. It's a really bad argument started to break out between them. And around 6.30 p.m., mm-hmm. Arnie was growling like an animal. Okay. Oh. And he suddenly drew a five-inch pocket knife and stabbed Bono <gasps> repeatedly in the chest and in the stomach. Bono died just a little bit after that, I think, at the scene. Wow. And Bono had actually suffered four really bad wounds, mm-hmm. mostly in his chest, and one that stretched from his stomach mm-hmm. to the base of his heart. Oh, my God. Okay, so it was very aggressive. Right. Arnie was found two miles away from the site of the murder, covered in blood, and he was confused and not certain what had just happened. Mm-hmm. 
he was held at the Bridgeport Correctional Center on bail mm-hmm. of $125,000. So he fled the scene. Yeah, he left. He fled the scene and then he claims, Arnie claims that when he came back to, he was already covered in blood, didn't know what happened. Yeah, he wasn't aware what, what had occurred. Okay. So get this. Mm-hmm. The day after the murder, Lorraine Warren informed the Brookfield police that Arnie Johnson was possessed when the crime was committed. Ed and Lorraine Warren claimed that Arnie Johnson was a good young man. Like mm-hmm. he, They didn't think he was capable of doing this. Okay. okay. Or harming anybody. Okay. I understand what, you know, they mean. They met him and, you know, he seemed like a good person and not capable of harming anybody. But isn't that usually the case? I mean, there's people out there that, you know, you would have never thought that would be capable of doing these horrendous things. And yet they just snap and they do. Right. You know, to me, it's just, okay, so you met him and his family a few times. I don't know. I'm just. No, absolutely. Right. I mean, it comes down to this is kind of a a totally out of ordinary story mm-hmm. when it comes to coming to trial. Right. right. Like you're saying something took possession of you, your body, what you're able to do mm-hmm. and did this act. So you're not liable. Mm-hmm. Like that's not normal. That's not a normal thing that you see often. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Ed and Lorraine claimed that. He was a very polite, hardworking man. He would work all day as a landscaper, go home, have dinner, rest until, you know, 11 Mm o'clock. And again, this is before, right? Then stay up all night with David, Mm -hmm. right? He would have David sleep next to him because he knew the toll it was taking on the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. So because of these actions that he would do, they felt very strongly about him that Mm -hmm. there's no way that he would be the one to do this. Right. And they strongly believe that Arnie Johnson was possessed at the time of committing the murder. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he should not go to prison. Mm. That's hard to argue. <laughs> exactly. Like, how do you argue mm-hmm. that? Well, Martin Manella, mm-hmm. Arnie's lawyer, received calls from all over the world mm-hmm. about what was being called the demon murder trial. Mm-hmm. Okay. Manella traveled to England to meet with lawyers who had been involved in two similar cases. Now, those two cases didn't go to trial, but they were trying to. He planned to fly exorcism specialists from Europe. He even had the priests who participated in the exorcism ready to testify in the courtroom. That's a hard one. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe he could have been possessed, but an innocent man died. Exactly. Do, Do we know why Bono grabbed the little girl? No, I don't have any more details on that. Okay. I don't know what his... Intention if that was, was like out of the ordinary what, yeah, type yeah, of behavior yeah. or what? Yeah. I, I really don't know. I couldn't find much on it. Again, this happened back in the 80s, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a whole lot of, you know. I mean, either way, that. it doesn't call for him being stabbed the way he did. No. I'm, you know, I'm right. just, I don't know. I'm wondering. And I don't know. It's it's hard to me. I mean, okay, so you have a priest to testify, you know, one of the exorcism pr- priests, but they didn't exercise Arnie. They exercised David. Yeah, but I th- you know? think that what they were trying to prove was that David was possessed, he was exercised, mm-hmm. and from there it jumped to Arnie. Yeah, that's a stretch. Yeah, <laughs> possibly, right? <laughs> Absolutely, especially proving proving that in you know a court of law. Right. That's where it's like becoming. How how do you go about that? Mm-hmm. Well, the trial took place in Connecticut Superior Court 
in Danbury. Mm-hmm. And beginning on October 28th, 1981. Ooh, right before Halloween. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, think about that. That's why there probably was even more media hysteria <laughs> around it. Yeah. It was the first time in history that a defense like this one was used in the American courtroom. Mm-hmm. Now, Manella attempted to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession. But the uh, presiding judge, Robert Callahan, quickly mm-hmm. rejected the defense. I mean, I think I would have too. I don't blame him. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get the position. How are you going to be the one that, like, really, you're going to accept that? I know a lot yeah. of people, even people listening to this episode, like, really, you're talking about this for, you know, half an hour? <laughs> it's really more some bogus stuff that maybe they don't believe in. Mm-hmm. But Callahan argued that no such defense could ever exist in a court of law due to lack of evidence and that it would be irrelative and unscientific to allow relating testimony. Mm -hmm. So, again, makes sense. See, to me, I feel like this would have had a little more power if David would have been the one that committed the crime, just because then you can call in the the priest that exercised him and Ed and Lorraine Lauren. And, you know, you can call all those people where I'm sure there's documentation and, you know, I feel like that would have held up more. But again, I go back to, okay, but Arnie wasn't, like, they never treated him. He wasn't exercised. I right. get it. His son was. And then it could have jumped to him. Okay, but again, that's just a stretch. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, what evidence can you provide? You can't because he was never exercised. Yeah. So what was already a stretch is mm-hmm. even more of a stretch. Right? Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. So the defense chose to imply that Arnie Johnson acted in self-defense. Because of this, the the jury was not legally allowed to consider demonic possession as a viable explanation for the murder. Mm -hmm. So the jury deliberated for 15 hours over three days before convicting Arnie Johnson on November 24th, 1981 of first-degree manslaughter. Mm. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, though he actually only served five due to good behavior. That's tough. It's kind of crazy, right? It's crazy, and that's tough because I put myself in the shoes of the victim. Yeah, the victim, and in the family's shoes. And to me, it's like, okay, he was possessed, so now I've lost a family member because of that. I I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's just it's hard, and you only gave him ten to twenty years for killing somebody in a horrible way. And he only served five. Yeah. Because of good behavior. That to me it's kind of outrageous. Like, okay, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean it was self defense and yet I remember what was the situation. The other he, guy, Alan, had grabbed the nine year old and wasn't refusing to let go. He was already agitated, drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, like given the situation I, mean, I understand yeah, why I they kinda came too. with manslaughter versus you know, like first degree murder or right. something. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's the reason why there could be a lesser sentence, but five years mm. after killing somebody, that's kind of, I don't know, kind of crazy to hear. Right? Mm-hmm. It is. Th- this, this is just a crazy case. It is. Absolutely. So what do you think? Do you think that it could have been his possession? I mean, you see other cases, right? Where well, I mean, they like say Amityville. that they heard voices, right? Amityville. Exactly. But it's just, I don't know. I don't know why I'm having a hard time believing this one. Again, I think I would have um, um, believed it more if it would have been David. To be completely honest, I don't know why this screams to me that he could have been having a mental breakdown. 
that's a lot of stress for a family to go through. That's true. And it so was to, only, I mean, less than a year yeah, from when so, everything was going down. Right. I mean, the lack of sleep and, you know, it's a lot for you to take in. So I, I don't know why. To me, this just screams if he would have gotten some mental help, um, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Maybe it was a mental breakdown. Yeah. And he just snapped. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, uh, that actually makes sense. Well... Now you get to see the movie in two weeks that's based on this story and see how what their take is on it. Are you going to get nightmares? Probably. <laughs> I was getting nightmares of watching this stuff, oh researching God. this case. It was crazy. <laughs> I almost didn't want to do it. <laughs> I was like, you know what? No. <laughs> because honestly, there's a lot of other stuff that they said, mm-hmm. uh, things that they experienced that I didn't you know, put in the story because they were just too crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's a true crime podcast, not a paranormal activity type of podcast anyway so but yeah i'll probably have nightmares if you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com you can also follow us on instagram at podcast true crime weekly and please don't forget to support the show by going to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show and i would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen the only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews thanks for listening